This podcast is funded and supported by Wild Common, an additive-free agave spirits company bringing you some of the finest tequila and mezcal on earth. Our goal is to help give transparency to the consumer, provide a cleaner spirit, and support sustainable methods of production with the families that we work with in Mexico. Our product should be available summer 2020. We will keep you posted. Salud. Welcome to episode two of the Wild Common Podcast. I'm Andy Barden, the host and the founder of Wild Common Agave Spirits. And today's guest is Will Acuna Robinson. Will uh, joined the service and was deployed to Iraq in the early 2000s, 2000, 2002 or so. Um, saw combat and was eventually medically discharged uh, to come home and Will's got a very interesting story um, as he dealt with sort of the coming home and some of the therapy and the surgeries he experienced PTSD and went through a number of different modalities, different uh, therapies to to help him deal with it, none of which seemed to really stick. And one day, uh, inspiration struck, and he decided he was going to make a, a huge shift and uh, hit the trail, literally. And uh, Will went on to complete what's called the Triple Crown of Hiking, which is the Pacific Crest Trail, ranging from Mexico to Canada on the West Coast, the Appalachian Trail, which goes from Georgia to, Georgia to Maine, and then the Continental Divide Trail between uh, Mexico and Canada again, which winds its way through the Rocky Mountains, Montana, Idaho, Wyoming, and New Mexico. So he did all of this self-supported hiking by foot, put in big, big days, um, and we just have a sort of a wide-ranging topic about, you know, his experience coming home, PTSD, um, what it's like to be on the trail, sort of some lessons learned, um, as well as being the first African-American male to accomplish this feat um, and becoming a role model in, in his own community to, to plant the seed and hopefully inspire others. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Will Acuna Robinson. Will, welcome to the show, man. Hey, how's it going? Good, bro. We uh, we just missed each other in Southern California uh, due to the whole coronavirus scare. And yeah, I was looking forward to spending some time out there and getting some training in. Yeah, you know, got to take precautions. Yep. So today is March 18th, and uh, I'm sort of posted up in my office. Where are you at right now? I'm home here in Louisiana hanging in my backyard. I can't sit inside all day. Well, I just wanted to jump into your story and, uh, and share with sort of the audience, some of your accomplishments and, and your background. Um, I wanted to start with the trail names. Um, where'd you get this name Akuna? and, and what's up with trail names? Why are people using them? You know, uh, trail names is just, uh, you know, when you're on trail, you, you have everybody's legal names. A lot of names are similar. And so we go by nicknames. And part of that is kind of like shedding your, you know, normal everyday self and taking on a new persona while you're on trail, your more adventurous persona. And uh, I picked up my trail name in 2016 on the Pacific Crest Trail, maybe two or three days in. You know, I would have people ask me questions all the time, like, what are you going to do about water this year? Like, I'll figure it out. You know, what are you going to do about resupply? It'll work itself out. 
what about the snow in the Sierras? Yeah, we'll figure it out when we get there. It's like, man, you just don't worry about stuff at all. It's like, I try not to. I do enough worrying in my normal everyday life. So out here, I'm trying not to. And then next thing you knew, they started calling me no worries. Akuna Matata. <laughs> no worries, yeah. <laughs> um, let's talk about the snow in the Sierra Nevada. Um, th- this was, what, 2018 that you accomplished the Pacific Crest Trail, is that right? I, I attempted it the first time in 2016, but dislocated my knee after 1,600 miles. So I went back out to the beginning in 2017, and that was a pretty epic snow year. Okay, and so that was on Mount Whitney, is that right? Can you tell us what happened? Yeah, yes. Uh, I have uh, knee issues. I have a tracking issue, so they go wherever they want to go, not just tracking up and down. And uh, we were probably three quarters of the way up with me. And even with my knee braces on, I felt it just pop right out of place. So uh, from there, I kind of just dragged myself back up to the top of Whitney because you come that far, you're not just going to stop. And get there and, you know, take in this epic site. And I was more worried about, am I going to be able to get down from here than anything else? So that's like 10 10 miles and about, what, 6,000 feet to get back to the trailhead? Yep, about that. So we get down on the way down. It actually pops partially in place, but not all the way. And since it's something I'm used to, you know, I can deal with that type of pain. I mean, I've been dealing with it for well over a decade. So from there, we got down, decided to make it to Bishop, which was our next bailout point. It was some slow going, some painful days, but we made it over Forrester, made it over Kearsarge, got into Bishop. And at that point, I had to make a decision. It's like, I don't think I can do these passes with this knee like this. So I'm going to skip ahead and go hike some in Oregon and see how it is out there, a little flatter terrain. But, you know, when you're making that type of flip on the PCT at a heavy snow year, basically you flip from snow in one spot to snow in another spot. So I, I hiked around Oregon, different sections, went over the Bridge of the Gods, went home for the season, thinking that was going to be it. I got treatment for my knee, had it all the way put back into place. You know, everything was doing good. Maybe a month later, a member of my trail family from early on in the hike called me and told me it had been hiking by itself. So I flew right back out to uh, Portland, met him at Timberline Lodge and hiked most of Washington with him. But before I was even finished with that hike, I knew I was going back to the beginning of the next year. Wow, man, rolling with it. Oh, yeah. But let's, uh, let's go back. I mean, you said that you've been dealing this for, for over 10 years. Um, let, let's sort of start at the beginning of your journey. Um, at 22 years old, you found yourself in Iraq. Um, and thank you for your service, first and foremost. Um, no problem. Let's, let's just give some story and and background here. Um, You found yourself in Iraq and, and you ultimately come home from the war and you'd seen combat. Is that correct? Yes. And is it right that you watched this, a Cheryl Strahan movie that, that movie Uh, wild or did you experience some PTSD for, for quite a while before you sort of had this light bulb go off that said, you know, 
wilderness and hiking and 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 some of this therapy is going to be something that helps you out i mean take us back to the beginning here what was sort of the inspiration for for all these hikes that you've been doing the inspiration actually started in iraq in 2003 while i was out there you know people would send care packages to the soldiers to kind of help us get through the days and books magazines newspapers those were something that we would get a lot of so I was going through this uh, box of community books that we had, and I found a guidebook on the Pacific Crest Trail. And for like a week or two, that became like my everything. It was my escape from being out in Iraq. You know, I was just all into this book. And I kept telling myself one day, I would really love to try this. You know, but uh, not long after that, you know, I was sent back to... Uh, Colorado Springs, where I was stationed at Fort Carson, had multiple surgeries, you know, was uh, medically discharged from the military in 2004. Uh, more surgeries, more life, more depression, more anxiety. Uh, I was just, you know, I wasn't living. I was just there. You know, the medications just made me feel like a zombie, but they didn't help with anything. On top of that, I had so many pain medications for nerve damage and tendon damage and everything else that it was just a dark, dark place in my life. In 2016, when I was pretty much at my darkest, I was just hanging out in my room as usual because I pretty much socially isolated myself for years prior to that. But that night in 16, I was just chilling in my room and I looked up and I see Wild on my TV. I see, you know, Reese Witherspoon walking with this giant backpack. And as she's walking and I'm, you know, listening to it a little bit, I hear the name Pacific Crest Trail. And it's like, hey, I wonder if that's that trail I read about 13 years ago. So, you know, I pull out Google, I do some quick research, realize that it is the same trail. So I do a little more research and find out, yes, people are still trying to through-hike it in one season. And instantly I knew it was like, you know, I'm in a dark place in my life. It's going to take something extreme to get out of it. This is that extreme thing. So, you know, that night I stayed up all night researching as much as I could, figuring out what gear and things that I would need, ordering stuff that I didn't never heard of until five minutes earlier. And two weeks later, I was standing at the Southern Terminus. Well, get, get knowing what it. I was doing. <laughs> it's a two-week yeah, no two turnaround. Never been hiking before, never been backpacking or camping. But, you know, I was lucky enough to be able to find a permit date. It was like the only one that was open. I'm guessing somebody probably canceled. And, you know, that ended up being good luck for me. And I haven't been able to stop hiking since. And what what was it that sort of pushed you to take that action i mean you said that you knew that you needed something uh dramatic or or something sort of over the top to to push you out of this state of depression what was it about sort of the the trail that was luring you in was it the stories that you saw and the experience of wilderness or just the isolation or what what was the sort of the the initial attraction the that got you know that hooked you i think initially when I was reading the guidebook, it was a lot of the pictures and the descriptions of the terrains and things, especially uh, SoCal's desert. When you see pictures or hear the descriptions of that, 
it doesn't sound anything like the deserts in Iraq. So, you know, that was, I needed that. I wanted to see that. That was my escape. So when I was here and going through all the things I was going through with depression and anxiety and things, I think I needed to escape. I needed something different than my normal everyday existence, which basically was just hanging out in my room and limiting my contact with people. It's like, I need to get out there. I need to do something that's completely different than anything else I've ever tried. And I guess in the context of being on the trail every day is different. There's new stimulus every day because of the terrain, the people you meet, uh, the places you sleep, the weather you encounter every day. There's that, that new stimulus sort of coming in, right? Always. Every day it was something new. And it put me in a position to force me to do some of the things I had been avoiding over the years. It forced me to interact with other people. It forced me to actually depend on people. You know, it made me see that I was still capable of doing things, something that I forgot, that I wasn't a burden. You know, it uh, it made me have to be confident in me because no one else was going to do it. Right. You're the one that has to pack your pack. You're the one that has to cook the food, filter the water, you know, prep the rain gear, everything. Oh, definitely. I mean, the hiking community is such a, a great group. And they will, most uh, people will help you with pretty much anything, but they can't carry that bag for you. They can't walk those miles for you. You have to do that. And, you know, being out there, it also made me do something I had been avoiding or I was numbed out to off the medications for years was taking time to be in my head and work some things out myself and kind of, you know, having the time to work on yourself without all the distractions of normal life, you know, your TV, your cell phone, your errands, you know, and, and all the pop culture drama. Here is just you. Nothing but time to be in your head. And so, it's not always pleasant, but it's what we need at times. And so what portion of the time on on these through hikes, you know, when, when I'm basically when I'm hiking, I'm generally hiking to like a wall to go climbing or up a mountain to then ski off the backside and I'm with a partner um, because we've got a clear objective. What What sort of percentage of time would you say you're alone on the trail versus like you meet up with somebody you hike with them for a couple days or to the next re-ration station like how much time are you alone i mean uh you pretty much get in the trail families pretty quick my first year on the pcp i had a trail family day one second year same thing uh year on the at made a trail family after like five days but even though you're part of a group, you spend most of the day alone. Uh, like for me, I usually end up hiking at a faster pace than most of the people that I hike with. So I will end up spending five miles by myself doing my own thing. I'll stop after five miles and wait, wait for everybody to catch up, see how everybody's doing. Everybody's still good. Nobody's hurt. Then I'll go five more miles and I'll do that until we accomplish our goals. So most of the day I will hike alone. And so five miles is what? And that's like two and a half hours or something? Uh, depending on the terrain, I can usually do it in an hour and a half to two hours. Oh, wow. You're moving. So it was it uh, an adjustment for you to spend that much time, you know, in your own head alone? I, I was used to spending time alone because that's, how it had been for like the last 13 years. I, I avoided people at all costs, including my family. 
but I wasn't taking the time to be in my head, you know, and uh, my brain wanted to start talking. It was like, okay, it's time to have a drink or my brain wanted to go here, you know, oh, it's time for my medication. So you kind of just numb out, you know, a lot of the medications that were taken, you is it was virtually impossible to have deep thoughts. And if you did, it kind of became negative and they just made the situation even worse. Right. Sort of a cycle. Yeah. And so you found, I mean, what was it you found in the trail that was therapeutic? Was it the fresh air? Was it, you know, being connected to the earth? What, what was it you sort of found right off, off the bat that was therapeutic in a different way? Cause it sounds like, you know, you've been trying medicine and other forms, other modalities of therapy. Um, and they they just weren't quite working. Uh, what was it you I found think, on the trail that was different? I think first and foremost was the ability to be out and not feeling like you're constantly being judged. Because dealing with PTSD and anxiety and some of the things that, that come through your brain, you you get to a point where you literally believe everybody sees this and everybody thinks that you're just mentally unstable. So you don't want to be around to face that judgment all the time. Being out there, I could be out here doing me and not feeling like everybody's examining everything I'm doing and thinking, oh, this guy, he's got mental issues, so stay away from him. Or you can see something's wrong with him. So I could just be out there, you know, and the days I was frustrated, I could just scream until my lungs hurt and nobody was going to have a problem with it. It's not abnormal is not wrong. You know, I could walk in, talk to myself and work things out in my brain. And it's like, oh, hey, how's it going? Yeah, I do that all the time, too. So it was like being around people who were more like I was. And have you have you been able to bring some of those lessons home, either to, to mend friendships or your relationship with your family? Do you, do you feel like you've been able to take some of those tools home now and apply them? Uh, definitely. It's like my, my father always uh, says that, you know, that I'm back to being the son he remembered before Iraq. You know, like I was able to come back here and everyone can tell the difference right away. You know, being more social, being more talkative, smiling, something I, I don't think anybody saw for years. Not a smile, but in automatic smile you know before you're so numbed up with everything you know what the responses are but you just force yourself to do them they don't happen automatically but now i'm smiling and laughing and it's all natural and they can see all of that and so what um you know what what's a day look like i mean what what's a routine look like on a trail on any given day, you know, you sort of wake up and then what's your, what's your program? You pack your kit, you eat breakfast, you do your business or what, talk about the routines that you had on the trail. You know, morning time, usually I I get up. I, I'm not one to cook breakfast. You know, you have to have water for that. And a lot of times I won't carry the extra water. So if I do eat breakfast, it's usually something like a pop tart. From there, may do a little stretching in your bag because that morning, it's so hard to get out of your sleeping bag in the morning and face that morning chill. But from there, you know, I'll get up, pack up my my kit, make sure I have everything good together, make sure that we haven't left any traces around, you know, micro trash or anything like that so we can collect all of that. 
once we get the kit and everything together, usually the night before we discuss, you know, how far we may want to go the next day and look at that leg in advance, like where's the next water, how far until we get to this campsite, do we need to dry camp or to dry camp, meaning get water before we get to camp and just carry it, or will we be at a camp with water? So that plan is made usually the night before. Once we're packed up and we're moving, it's just, you know, getting out there and facing whatever the trail gives you, whether that's up and down terrain, flat terrain, rocky terrain, mountains or passes, wildlife, and just taking it five miles at a time. And you're needing to find water as you go. So are you, are you filling up water bottles with a pump or are you using iodine tablets or how does that work? I use the uh, filter, this uh, soya squeeze. You can uh, put that on your bottle or your, uh, your bladder bags. You put your dirty in there. You put your, uh, your filter on top. Now everything you squeeze out is clean. And food, you said parp tarts for breakfast, and then what's what's the situation the rest of the day? You sort of snacking the rest of the day, and then do you cook a dinner, or do you bring in dried goods, you know, bags of tuna fish and stuff like that along the way, or sort of what what's no. what's the dinner and lunch program look like? I think it it would surprise some people based off of you know the the type of mileage we do in almost a marathon a day, but I eat absolute trash absolute garbage i mean snickers bars gummy bears is something that has to be in my pack if they're not in my pack i'm not leaving the town i have to have gummies that's like my happy thing on trail you know uh from there you know nutri-grain bars protein bars if you haven't gotten tired of them yet you know and just anything you can pretty much eat while you walk the more sugar or calories, the better, because we're burning about 5,000 calories a day. Lunchtime, though, for me, is usually like summer sausage or tortillas with cheese. You know, I'll have a protein bar there to try to get more protein in our system. Beef jerky. Uh, sometimes tuna is what I would do for lunch. And then from after lunch, going back to eating massive amounts of snacks that you can eat while you're walking. And when I get to camp, some people like the cold soap. I actually bring a stove. There's something comforting about having a warm meal at the end of the day. And that can um, vary. You know, if I'm in a place where, like, dehydrated meals aren't too expensive, I'll go that route. I love a lot of mountain house meals and backpacker meals. Backpacker pantry, I'm sorry. But uh, if you're in places where it's more expensive, I'll go to things like uh, North uh, North Rice Sides, and I'll cut up some of that sand, summer sausage or pepperoni. Sometimes I'll bring uh, like a uh, little cheese or cheese sticks and have that in there. Uh, sometimes it'll be ramen, or as through hikers call it, the ramen bomb, which would be ramen with mash or whatever else you add to it. You know, it's like at this point, everything kind of tastes good. And I know a lot of people that love ramen and peanut butter for dinner. It's like their version of a pad thai. Oh yeah, so, little little Thai little Thai spice in there. Call it a, call it a day. You're good. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. It's like after a while, you really don't care what you're eating as long as you're eating. Yeah, and, you, and it's going to be everything. Five thousand calories a day. You're just grazing all day. Have a massive meal. Crash out. Wake up. Do it again. Oh yeah. 
it's one of the benefits of being a through hiker. You get to eat and eat and eat, and you're going to burn it all off. So not a lot of people have accomplished sort of this triple crown. And can you explain to, uh, you know, some of the listeners who, who aren't familiar with what the triple crown may be? Um, this happened at the end of 2018, correct? You, uh, 2019, last 2019, year. 2019, okay. And and what, what exactly is the Triple Crown, and how many people have accomplished it? All right, the Triple Crown is completing the Pacific Crest Trail, the Appalachian Trail, and the Continental Divide Trail, all total a little over 8,000 miles. And when I completed it, less than 500 people had actually done it. I think the number was close to around 350, but I can't remember at this point. But when I did accomplish it, there was more people who had uh, climbed Everest, and it was reported that there were more been more people that went into space than had actually done the Triple Crown of hiking. So it was a pretty cool, uh, you know, accomplishment. And then as I was finishing off this trail, a question came in, and it was has another African-American male accomplished this? Now, the year prior, I know a, a thru-hiker by the name of Chardonnay. Her name is Elsie uh, Walker. She claimed the title as the first African-American female to have Triple Crown. And uh, Meryl, my, my sponsor and my family there, they started diving into the books and contacting different people. And it turns out no one had known of an African-American male who had ever completed it. So upon completion, I became the first known African-American male to have completed the Triple Crown of Viking. And I, I saw an interview you did with Teresa Baker a while back, and she said that you sort of developed this huge following of people uh, keeping track of your updates, you know, rooting for you on social media in the African-American community. Um, were you Were you conscious of that as you sort of set out to complete this goal, or was this more of a personal journey for you. And then I guess, what did it, what did it sort of feel like having that extra um, boost of motivation, knowing that there were eyeballs on you and people were rooting for you? You know, when I first started hiking, that wasn't even a thought on my brain was people following my hike. My Instagram was meant for people that I knew back here and made it easier to, to send pictures. But as I, I started going, I would get words of encouragement from veterans, from other African-Americans, people of color, members of the LGBTQ community, because, uh, you know, that's when I became aware there's not a lot of people that are shown in the outdoor markets that don't fit the prototype of what outdoors is supposed to be, you know, between the ages of 20 and 30, super athletic, usually a white male. That, you know, but for everybody else, there, there wasn't that person that reminded them of them out there. Yeah. And I've and honestly you know, only seen kind of in the last like year or two advertisers giving a voice to other, you know, people of color in, in their actual ad campaigns. Uh, definitely. I mean, it's trending in the right direction, but there's still a lot of work to be done. It's just, uh, you know, those first two years on the PCP it was more about me getting right with me. By the time I hit the AT, it was, it was all about inspiring other people. You know, I, I want more people of color to see me and be like, Hey, 
that guy looks like me or he reminds me of a friend of mine. He's doing that. I can do it too, you know, or he's out there. He's hiking these miles. So the outdoor uh, community is actually welcoming the people of color. And these are questions that people have that they've contacted me about many a times over the years. You know, will I be accepted out there? Is it safe for me to be out there? You know, what's the reaction from other hikers to you out there? And so I decided basically, you know, that this trip wasn't going to be just about me. No, it morphed to more than that. This is about, you know, just getting everybody who wants to be on trail out there, letting veterans know that there's alternatives to all the medications and treatments that they're not working for you. And, you know, letting people of color know that, hey, I'm out here and I'm doing a great time. I'm enjoying myself. If you want to be here, you can be too. And so it sounds like you've kind of, you've planted the seed now for others, right? Like they, uh, they know that it can be done and that's, that's powerful, right? You know, the first, Oh yeah. The first time somebody climbs something, uh, in the rock climbing world, there's a, there's a huge mental component of, of adventure, not knowing if it can be done. Um, have others, followed through or at least picked off smaller objectives based on, on the seed that you've planted, do you think? You know, at times people ask me if the CDT and completing the Triple Crown was my most proud moment. And usually they catch me off guard and sometimes I'll say yes. But truly what it is is, you know, I think the proudest I was was in 2018. When I met an older uh, African-American gentleman at AT Trail Days, and he told me he had been following my hike. He's always wanted to go hiking, but didn't know if he would be welcome in the community. He started hiking, uh, you know, local trails in his community, found out he really loved it, and he was planning a through hike. And I was told in 2019 he actually through hiked the Appalachian Trail, and that was one of my proudest moments to know that, you know, I'm out here and I'm trying to be visual for people and it's actually working. And I've been contacted by so many people that have said, hey, Akuna, you know, thank you for sharing your journey. I'm, I'm planning a through hike or I've started hiking and I enjoy it or I'm spending time in nature. That's what makes me proud. And so given today's circumstances, right, where we're all uh, sort of. I guess feeling alone uh, because of this isolation that we're all experiencing. I mean, what, what recommendations do you have for, for people who are at home right now? You know, if you're home right now and you know, with social distancing, it, it hurts. It hurts us all, you know, I'm hurting too. But the thing to remember is if you're being, you know, social distancing doesn't mean you have to stop living. It just means you got to do things a little bit different. You know, maybe you need to be outside. So there's nothing wrong with going out and exploring that trail that's not as popular as the other ones. You know, there's nothing wrong with going to that uh, city park around you. You just got to make sure you keep your distance. You're washing your hands. You're using your Germex. You know, it, you can still live. You can experience nature still. You just have to do it a different way than you normally would have. You know, get creative with it. I mean, if you're in your house, Use this time to start planning for your next great adventure once, you know, everything is calmed back down, you know, or follow some, some of these awesome outdoor accounts to get some inspiration for possibly that next adventure. 
you know, I mean, read a book. There's so many books on nature and outdoor journey, uh, journeys and things like that. There may be something you never heard of, but it could inspire you for your next voyage. And there's all kind of things you can still do while social distancing. And do you think, I mean, have you, have you also had an impact on people? Um, you know, you spoke specifically about wanting to also inspire veterans um, mm-hmm. or, or people who may be experiencing PTSD from other events. Do you feel like you've been able to inspire them to explore nature um, with an open mind and in, in maybe a way they haven't before based on what you've done? I, I think I have. I've had veterans reach out to me that have told me they uh, saw a film or read an article about my journey and they tried many things for PTSD and it didn't help them. And so they went out to nature and the combination of maybe the traditional treatment plus nature has helped them get back focused. But it's not just me. I mean, there's a, a lot of great veteran organizations out here that are getting veterans out in nature. you got Warriors Keep. They take people out to Kilimanjaro twice a year on veteran teams. You have Warrior Hikes that sponsor veteran teams that through hike all the major trails, bike, kayak, and all kinds of different things to get them in nature. And the list just goes on and on. You know, I think the uh, the veteran community has, is, is a community that they have, we have to look for alternatives because the traditional stuff hasn't been working for all of us. So there's been a lot of movement in that direction and a lot of organizations that are doing great work. So I'm definitely not doing it alone. And I, I read a quote somewhere that you had said, you know, when you're in the service, you're part of a whole, meaning you're, you know, a single part of a larger unit, uh, a single part of a larger family with your brothers and mm-hmm. sisters. And you've, I mean, do you feel the same way with through hiking? You know, is that, is yeah. that a community that you now feel like is, is family to some degree? Definitely. You know, I, the through hiking community, I think is the closest I've ever seen to the military community. You know, you bond with people instantly. I mean, you have conversations with this person that you hike 30 miles with that you may not have ever had with a person that you've known for two years. You know what I mean? They become more than your friends. They truly become your family. You depend on these people and they depend on you and the trust is just instant. You know, you got to remember your trail family and you're on a, a ice shelf and there's water there and you need to jump to the other side. They say, hey, let's do it. It looks safe. You don't even question it. You just go with it. You know, they're not going to put you in a dangerous position. Well, not most of the time and not on purpose. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the connection is just instant once you find your trail fam. Man, well, I'm, I'm uh, disappointed we weren't able to connect. Uh, given the circumstances, I think, you know, we made the right decision being able to be home, be with our families and our loved ones. And uh, I'm adjusting for sure, you know, trying to, Uh, stay out of grocery stores as much as I can, but I'm also trying to get outside every day, get some exercise, go to sleep tired, at least physically exhausted to try to, you know, wake up the next day, reset and, uh, work from home. And, you know, um, Oh yeah. You know, hopefully when this thing sort of settles down a couple months from now, whatever it may be that, uh, we get the opportunity to spend some time in the trail together. Oh man, that'd be dope right there. You know, because, 
more than likely, I will be in the middle of the woods with my trail somewhere. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll track you down, man. And thank you so much for taking the time for a call today. Um, I'll share it on social and um, I'll be sure to share your handle. Uh, where, where else can people reach out to you? What's the best way to, for veterans or, or aspiring hikers to reach out and maybe get in contact with you? Uh, through my Instagram, which is uh, Kuna Hikes, or through my email, which is uh, gmail.com. All right. Well, I'll link to both. And thank you again, man. I appreciate it, brother. I have no problem, homie. You be easy. Peace. All right. Thanks, man. Uh, no problem. No problem. Appreciate it, bro. And yeah, just hunker down with your family. We're lucky to at least be home and, you know. Yeah. yeah. It's like two more weeks. I'm supposed to start the North Country Trail in North Dakota. But uh, now I'm going to wait another week, maybe 10 days and see what's going on and reassess from there. All right. Well, keep me posted and uh, we'll hit you up. You know, as soon as we can, for sure, I'd love to get out with Matt. I know he was he was bummed. He had a bunch of, you know, his tent was pitched in his living room. He had all his gear laid out and everything. So hopefully we <laughs> yes, can uh, make it happen. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, man. Sounds good to me. All right. Stay in touch. I appreciate it, bro. All right, homie. Be easy. All right. Peace.